Yeah, I found ways that running, as we have talked about many times, Whitney, how it has helped us in our character development beyond the sport of running. And it's been like such a valuable tool to help us in our widening of perspective. And I think that these challenges and then also, you know, an identity and, and who am I if I'm not a runner? Like, who am I? If, if you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode 34 of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner Podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of TheMotherRunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today, I get the pure joy of chatting with Andy Ripley. She is an elite runner, a mom. She's a running coach and co-host of the podcast, A to Z Running with her elite runner husband, Zach. If you have not checked out A to Z Running, you should definitely check it out. It's an awesome podcast. Today, we talk about how to be an injured runner. Andy has battled some pretty significant running injuries since I've known her over the past three years. And through it all, I've just been amazed by how she's maintained grace and patience and perseverance. And so I wanted to get into how she was able to do that. And she just shares really enlightening, lessons and insights that will help you if you encounter injuries, if you're injured right now, and then quite frankly, just dealing with any challenges in your life. Some more about Andy. Andy Ripley is a distance runner from Grand Rapids, Michigan. She qualified for the 2020 Olympic trials with a marathon best of 243. She is currently coaching with her husband, Zach Ripley at A to Z Running and the co-host of the A to Z Running podcast. In 2021, Andy ran a full mile personal best on the track of 458. Soon after that, she had a flare-up of her hip labrum tears, which were diagnosed in 2018. And so in March of 2022, she had her right hip labrum repaired and reformed. And then in June, she had the same surgery on her left hip. And then after more than six months off running, she is now back to training Andy seeks to thrive in life and sport, and she encourages other runners in the same mission. Helping runners thrive is more than just the A to Z tagline. It is their way of life. So we're going to hear from Andy in just a moment after the short message from our sponsor, RunnerClick. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. RunnerClick presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Hey, Andy, it's great to see your face. Oh, it's so good to see you too, Whitney, because we get a chance to connect digitally, but face-to-face is rare and I'm excited to get to chat with you. Yeah, we haven't done this in almost three years, I think, because we did a video you know, we did that one of those Instagram lives that got so hot during the pandemic, like right when the pandemic hit. Yeah, I can't believe it's been that long. Honestly, there's like a meme with a guy closing his eyes. Oh, no, his eyes are open and it says 2019. And then he closes his eyes 
And then he opens his eyes again and it says 2023. And that's how I feel. Like it was just a blink. It really, it was, or it's a blur for me. I mean, it seems like almost in those three years, it was like a lifetime. I mean, so much changed, but also so much was frozen in time too. I don't know. It was just, time was just very weird. And I feel like my memory has just been trying to recover ever since because just such a brain fog during that period. And then right before it hit, I got to see you in real life at the trials where you ran by and my daughter was like, oh, look at her hair, mom. And I was like, I know her, Auntie, go, go, go. And you look so good. Your hair looks so good. You're supposed to be. Eleanor's like, I remember that. I take that with me and I treasure her little compliment there. That was <laughs> Yes, because you were going up one of the million hills on that course at the trials. Yes, it was challenging. So I'm glad you know my brain. <laughs> You're going to have to do like an Instagram reel that kind of clues people into how to do that hairstyle because I know it's what with the braid coming over. I know Shalane wears it and I'm just not good with hair. So you need to teach us. The reason I started doing that and I bet a lot of listeners can relate if they have long hair is because my hair gets into extreme rat's nest. Oh, just very So naughty. I do like it's a running hack for long haired girls <laughs> because and boy, I mean men too, I guess if they have long <laughs> from getting wild so it was more out of necessity than any kind of fashion uh, oh i did not know that see i don't have a lot of hair so okay. my hair has always been thin so that's why i've never had to do that i'm fine to just do the ponytail and it hardly ever gets like every once in a while like it, it'll get caught in my necklace or something like that it's not hard to deal with so okay since we've known each other so you, you ran the trials and then soon after, i mean that whole time you were battling a hip injuries, I should say. And it was, if we could kind of backtrack and talk about, first of all, running has been a part of your life for a very long time. I believe your mom got you into running. Yeah. Yeah. Memory. Yeah. So if you could talk about how you got into running and then just give us a quick overview of your hip injuries, because I know you lived with it and you ran with it and you ran with pain for a very long time. And then finally, decided to hang up your shoes for a while and get it taken care of with surgeries. Yeah. So to give you the quick version, yeah, my mom got me into running. (laughs) It was a negotiation. She would pay for travel soccer if I also put some skin in the game. So she was putting money in the game. I was putting my skin in the game by running when she asked me to run, which was not like every day, but when she wanted a running buddy, essentially. And then I had to touch the ball every day in some capacity. So I had an investment because she was putting in an investment. And I made the teams because I was average, but I would run that mile run that they do in the beginning. They time you in the beginning of tryouts. And because I would do well with that, I would make the teams even though I was completely average. So I didn't do bad enough for them to be like, oh, she shouldn't play. But I was not really that good at soccer. I am so similar. I like I made the travel soccer team, the travel basketball team, and it was really only because I was speedier than the other girls. My coordination Uh has always been below average. (laughs) Same. So I then started enjoying running and I just really found it to be good for me. I'm a little hyperactive (laughs) and I also have since a, a young age had some anxiety and this helped me cope and get the wiggles out. And it was always refreshing to me psychologically and it kind of brought along a lot of friendships and also I just loved the actual movement 
you know? And so let's fast forward. I did it in college and then let's go just go to the injury stuff because I feel like well, I mean, I feel about- like we shouldn't gloss over okay. your achievements because you're a very talented runner. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I went to a small university and I did middle distance, but I did a lot of different I did a lot of events because our school was small. So we need points. It's all about the points. <laughs> so I would do the steeplechase at conference and I would do the 1500 and then I would do the 5K. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was a lot of racing and I kind of overdid it in college. I was doing too much intensity, not enough, enough recovery. And I just kind of ran all out all the time. So now that I know more about the science of running, I know how I... That's why I've gotten so much growth post-collegiately is because I've learned to listen to my body, but also give myself space for adaptations and not always do running 100% all the time. Yeah. And then it brings me to, I ran a little bit post-collegiately for an elite running group called Playmakers. And I just pretty much did their cross-country race that they did as a team, which was the USATF Club Nationals. And then I would do sometimes some other team runs. But I wasn't like with the team. I wasn't training with them. I did it on my own. So it's pretty casual. When I had my first child, I decided I was going to do a marathon for the first time. <laughs> so I didn't, couldn't compare myself. Uh, I, I wanted okay. a new thing. Smart. And did a lot of running with that jogger. And I know you have posts all about the Stroller running. And it was a lifeline for me, that and the YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> But at that point, I was really just, again, you know, building the musculoskeletal. I was not in deep training. I didn't do much intensity. You know, I had some neuromuscular stimulation, but pretty much I was doing day-to-day what I needed, what fit into my life. And it went a lot better than I expected for my first marathon. I ran 255 and I enjoyed the whole thing. It was one of those like rare instances where you get done and you're like, I could keep going. And it was so amazing. Oh, wow. Which was, yeah, it gave me a false impression of how hard the marathon could be because I was like, whoa, like this was so fun. You probably felt very free too because you were used to running with the stroller. True. Yes. I did two 20 mile runs with the stroller. Wow. Leading in. Okay, I mean, that's impressive on like many different levels. <laughs> well, I just ran, you know, however slow I needed to run. I don't even think I was wearing a watch during that cycle wow. at all. So I just took it one day at a time, one moment at a time. And so I enjoyed my first marathon experience and I was hooked. Yeah, I would yeah. say, I mean, you're running blind and you're running for the like pure joy of running. And then Oh, I ran a 254. How about I ran a 255? I mean, what? I'm guessing you probably even went in like not even with a time goal. I didn't. But towards the end, like Zach was not coaching me at that time. Zach is my husband. He is my current coach. He had refused to coach me in for that year. Really? You pretty difficult for our marriage. He's like, Andy, you just need to get back into this thing at your own leisure. And also because he thought that we would have tips. I mean, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that, especially you re-entering and he is such a fast and it seems like kind of hardcore runner. Like he's very, I mean, for somebody to be that fast and talented, like he is very dedicated to the sport. He's very dedicated, but as I found, he it had been a lot better than I anticipated. And actually, I had better than he anticipated. He thought that I would give him some more pushback than I have. But okay. was I, 
Oh, because and he said before, he's like, you know, it's very possible you'll break three hours based on this and this. And so I did have that in my head for a hot minute, but then I like actually said it out loud to a person and they're like, you know, like, oh, no, that's part of goal and for your first marathon. And I was like, well, it wasn't my goal. It was like, this could be possible. I'm I'm open to whatever the day brings me. So then it made me kind of afraid. Yeah. Uh, ran without a watch and just did my thing wow. and enjoyed the experience. Hopefully I didn't bring it into race day, but I have a hard time expressing my goals out loud because I feel that whenever I've done so, I've gotten some negative feedback. Well, people project. Yeah. It's not necessarily, I guess, ill-intentioned, but it comes across. And it's such a vulnerable state that you're in when you say, you know, here's my goal. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sorry that happened. Me. And I'm glad no, you proved him wrong. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. And I think it's all part of my growing and my learning and my maturation in the sport, especially as being someone who, as I'm learning, I do enjoy feedback. And I hear what Zach thinks about things. I really have a hard time. And this has been my growth. My biggest growth has been through finding my own intuition as a runner and really putting aside the expectation of others. And what I perceive they think I should do mm-hmm. or could do. But that has been kind of a journey for me to let go of the outward and really focus on what running needs to do to meet my satisfaction in the sport. Oh, man. You put that so beautifully because I'm going through the same metamorphosis, but I never thought to put it that way. I'm going to earmark that for a future episode. We can dive <laughs> into that because... Yeah, it is hard to know, like you do want that feedback, but it also really should come from within with how you're feeling and what you think you can do and what's just really what's satisfying to you, what makes you happy. So I realized that no one cares about it as much as I do. Mm -hmm. As far as my stuff, you know, there could be people that look up here and there what I'm doing and, but I have to just let go of maybe disappointing people or causing some level of competition because mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm like let's everybody win you know yes. and well it always makes me I don't that element of running it really is interesting because I feel like the marathon has been a really great space for me because I feel like there's more of that collective let's go and we're doing this together and we can all win when we reach our goals and we have these thriving training cycles so I feel like the space of marathoners distance runners. In all, really, all runners, if we're looking at, you know, 5K all the way up as adult runners, mm-hmm. like we, we kind of find ourselves more rooting each other on. Yes. And that's the way it should be. And it's still like, and I talked to Andrea Pomeranski, who you've had on A to Z yes. earlier this week, and we talked about that, how to walk that fine line between being competitive, but also still, you know, all boats rise and still being, you know, supportive of one another. And you still want the other person even if they are your competitor to succeed yeah it's i mean that's we're all just out here trying to do our best and be our best and if somebody runs a fast time that doesn't take away from you and your goals i love that you said that i've reflected lately we've been talking about steve magnus's book do hard things i know you probably steve magnus too and how you know the perception of challenges versus threats and that can also mean our competition And we had talked to Dakota Linworm on our podcast. It was kind of a long time ago now, but she had mentioned that when someone comes up to her and starts challenging in a race, she always sees that as like, 
awesome. This person's going to pull me along. Yes. Like seeing them as a threat, like, oh no, someone's passing me. She sees them as, hey, this is like awesome. Great. Now I have someone to run with. This person's going to help carry me. And I really liked that very practical implementation of perceiving a challenge rather than a threat. Yes. Yes. And if you've ever run a race all by yourself, you would learn how wonderful it is to have somebody around you to pull you along and just, yeah, I mean, you just feed off their energy and you can either surge and lose them and run faster or you can work together. Yeah. Okay. So you run the 255 and then do you get pregnant again or you remember (laughs) I was I was like so excited, right? I'm like, oh, let's get into this training. Zach agreed to coach me. (laughs) I'd love to be a fly on the wall of how that happened. You finally convinced him. (laughs) Well, I was like, well, I'm getting a coach. So it's either you or it's someone else. And he's like, oh, I want to coach you. Okay, okay. Yeah. Maybe putting the little bug of competition in his ear, you know, like, I'm going to go find someone elsewhere. Yes. Yeah. So that was fun. But at the same time, like it was a week later that after the Bayshore Marathon that I ran that debut, I think it was a week later I was pregnant. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that quick of a turner. It was so quick. I didn't know that week, but that's what that's what it ended up being. Okay. And with the math of it. So you so, were def- you were not pregnant though when you ran the two fifty five. No, okay. I don't know. I don't believe so. No. Oh yeah. I think that that worked out. It was a week after, but then, you know, pregnancies were rough on me and they were rough. They're difficult pregnancies. I had a, a rare condition that made the pregnancy dangerous for the baby. And so I didn't oh. run as much as I would have loved to. Like I imagined in my head, like, oh, I see all these super fit moms, these pregnancies and the women run all the way through. And that is absolutely possible for many of you out there. But for me, I was not able. I ran till I was 20 weeks and then I was having really terrible Braxton Hicks. And then I started getting the symptoms of my condition, which kept me from training. But I still walked a lot and I was still active. But that was disappointing for me because I think I had a vision. I thought if I tried hard enough and like I was dedicated enough that I'd have this like dream fit pregnancy. And that was not the case. That was not the case for, for me. Yeah, Um, it's kind of, I mean, it's very similar to when you're dealing with injury and your body just doesn't comply with what you want mm -hmm. it to do. And yeah, and it's hard because you put it on yourself a lot of times, even though it's not your fault. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is a short amount of time. It feels really long when you don't get your running outlet. Yes, it does feel very long. But then afterwards, you're like, you know what? That was a blip and I learned so much. And coming back to it, the appreciation just really was magnified. And I think that the most difficult moments for me in my running journey are the ones that helped me most in my development. And I feel that I leveled up, even if it took time, I leveled up because of the challenges that I was experiencing. And pregnancy was one of those challenges for me. That is so beautiful. And I think what you said, the listeners, like take that and put it in your brain and hold on to it because, I mean, I just think that is so true. And kudos to you for seeing it that way because, I mean, that's a lesson that will serve you for the rest of your life. Yeah, I found ways that running 
as we have talked about many times, Whitney, how it has helped us in our character development beyond the sport of running. And it's been like such a valuable tool to help us in our widening of perspectives. And I think that these challenges and then also, you know, an identity and and who am I if I'm not a runner? Like, who am I if I'm not training like I normally do? And all these friends that I have in the running community, like, and really answering and wrestling those questions and finding our worth, our unshakable, undeniable worth beyond what we're doing in the sport of running. And uh, it can be part of it, but there's much more to life and it just makes it sweeter when we get it back. That's for sure. Oh, yes. Yes. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people struggle with injury because of two things, like you just said. I mean, being a runner often becomes part of our identity. And so we're just completely lost. And if that's your social outlet too, and then two, we tie so much of our self-worth to these numbers, even though we know logically it shouldn't be that way, but it's still so hard. We still do that. So injury has taught you not to do that. Yeah. And my main goal is not the performance. That's not my main goal. It's fun. And I like to chase hard things. But my main goal of running doesn't have to do with an outcome. It has to do with the process. Yes. And that's in your recent article about process goals. That was an excellent article because it gives us tangible framework to like have the process be part of the success we find. It's like, you know, no matter what happens, if I have a really crummy day in a race, look at what I did in my growth and development the past year because I was doing strength two times a week and I was doing core and I was getting reflection time and really becoming a more intuitive runner, you know, and that no, like that's still success, even if I had a bad day on my goal race day. Oh, yes. Yes, totally. And I think when you aren't able to run, it gives you an obviously gratitude for the ability to run, but then also just the beautiful framework and structure that it does give our days because it's not only just the run, but then it trickles over into the energy you have for the rest of the day and healthy choices with eating and doing your mobility and et cetera. Okay. So you get pregnant, you aren't able to run, you have another beautiful boy. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? Yeah, it comes back running. Thankfully, it doesn't always happen this way, but running came back to me pretty quickly. And I had to be patient. And I had to put the reins on because I felt better than what my body and the strength of my body was probably ready for. I had to put some reins on and be really patient. I ended up PRing in some events, like only five months after. Wow. And so I got excited, really excited because I, I was just in kind of base building, beginning conditioning type of work. And so it was exciting to see that. And as much as I like to say that it's all about these beautiful, holistic things, it is fun <laughs> to see fat crimes. Right. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. There's the potential there and to get excited about racing again, because I truly do love testing myself and seeing what I can do. So then I ended up with my first labrum tear in 2018. So things were going so well and I was clicking and things felt really good after the birth of my second son and the labrum problem reared its head, which I hadn't realized, but I had chronic issues previous. So uh, there was some sort of stress that I think caused a flare up 
And at that point, I was diagnosed with my first labrum tear and rehabbed it, worked really hard and was able to continue to train. I had to take a couple months off, though, after the flare up. That's usually recommended. Everything calmed down, you know, and then was back into it again. And same thing happened with my right hip that flared up. A lot of it for me is genetic, which many people, the hip labrum tear is because of a genetic abnormality in the hip. So oh. my, I had hip, like say morphology of the femur head. So it was misshapen femur oh, head that didn't okay. quite fit in the socket. But in addition to that, you know, I had calcifications that often people will get for impingement too. Ooh. And so my bone was just, you know, it's just rubbing against the labrum and, and the tear was painful. So at that point, you know, I'm like rehab work the first time for a while. So let's do that again. And it created in me some really good habits. And it was very humbling. Like, I need mobility work. Thank you, Phil Wharton. Because <laughs> I, seriously, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the Wharton mobility method, but like AIF using that, doing the mobility every day, multiple times a day. And I thankfully, you know, I talked to my PT and he's great too, Adam Hamolka at Endurance Rehabilitation in Michigan. And, you know, they worked with me and it was a hard road, but like I was able to get to the best shape of my life and then, you know, qualify in 2019. It was six months after I had taken a couple months off for my right labrum tear that I qualified for the Olympic trials in Chicago. And that race, it was much harder than that first marathon. Let me tell you, like, so that was your second marathon. It was my second wow. marathon. And, you know, again, I ran watch lists wanting to go by effort, but also knowing that they were pace groups. That also was part in my mind as well to know kind of gauge where I was. So I wasn't fading or accelerating in places that I shouldn't be. But that was much more challenging. Like I felt the issues that I've been having and had to think about lifting my knee and you know, all the things like uncomfortable, but successful. Like I achieved my goal. I exceeded the goal, but it was painful. And you know, races are painful and people have all kinds of things. You could put my injury and then it replaced with your injury in the marathon that you ran through it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's not the ideal, but also I knew that the Olympic trial standards was probably going to be lowered and it might be my only chance. So I wanted to rehab and, you know, shoot my shot as they say. Mm -hmm. And wait to consider the surgeries. So that was the fall of 2019 at Chicago. And then the trials were in February. And really, it was a lot of management. I had to get up during the night and do mobility because my hip would be so stiff and locked up. Oh and my God. I didn't train in the way that most people would train. Like it's not what you would do for a healthy person. So like I couldn't do many hills and things because oh. it would cause sort of aggravation. So I did like steady states on hills, but I did do like a strength phase on hills. And that would have been helpful, Atlanta. I know. I mean, that course then was like the worst for your injury. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But well, one of those, it's like, it's all celebration. And I think that's why that's kind of the perspective that I took that the trials would be a celebration. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do what I could to get there in a healthy state, knowing that, you know, this is a is an opportunity and I wanted to soak in that experience as best as I could. So then, you know, I did the trials and that was difficult. Yes. <laughs> it's not difficult. And, and warm and windy as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were warm. a lot of factors. Yeah. And the, I was running modestly. 
I remember you going into it saying that you were not feeling great and that it, you know, it wasn't like you were going to go for a PR or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, is sad, you know, to go into such a cool race, not feeling that your top, mm-hmm. top perform potential, but I did enjoy the experience. And I think that having the modest approach served me well because I could finish. <laughs> yeah. So that was, was good. And, and you looked fabulous and re- doing it too. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And my brain, not my face. <laughs> you had, you gave us a big smile. I, yeah, I was enjoying it. I was. And I did smile most of the way through. So it was a good experience. And then I decided to get the hip labrum and I got both done. So that's kind of the story leading up until now. <laughs> I'm back running. Hallelujah. So you got the first surgery. Was that last year or was that about a year? It was March of 2021. Okay. I'm sorry. 2022. It was this year. Yeah. Or this past year. The 2022 March, and then they stagger them uh-huh. for better healing. And then I had my second one in June. Okay. And so then I'm guessing you ran, walked, and you started back like yes. in August or September. Wow. I mean, you're already so fit. I ran as slow as I needed to to build up uh-huh. my strength. And I was fully ready and willing to do the run walk as much as I needed to, to run, you know, typically before surgery, I'd run like, you know, 730s to 8s for easy days. And then after surgery, I was doing 10s and, Mm. you know, 1030s. And sometimes I'd run 11 minute pace and I didn't focus on it at all. I didn't even know until afterwards, but I tried to jog as easy as possible so that I could each day feel good. And that was our goal. That was the goal that I made with Zach is like every day of this building. I don't want to call it building because it's not part. It was not part of like training. It's not official. You know, it's just I'm building this base as wide as I can, you know, and I'm running as easy as I need to do to feel good every single day that I run. And you were very dedicated too to the aqua jogging. (laughs) I mean, you You did did it with your arms up. I mean... That it for a long time. I mean, that is just, I mean, physical strength and endurance, but also mental fortitude. My goodness. That was a fun time. I actually really came to love aqua jogging, but that was not for my hip injury. I wasn't able to do aqua jogging for my hip injury. Okay. And some people can. I just had some hip flexor pain that I was struggling with. And aqua jogging requires a lot of, you know, pull up against the resistance of the water. Mm-hmm. No, but I do like aqua jogging. I came to like it because if there are others at the pool, like you can chat. I'm talking about like my home pool, my little home circle pool, you know, and I could talk to people and I can do my little aqua jogging thing while I'm still getting my social interaction. And like I can play with my kids like in the water, like I'll just like aqua jog to them and chat with them and like I'm moving around. But yeah, I do think that that was a good tool. I, as an injured runner, you know how many tools in our toolbox help us get through it and to strengthen and get back. So yeah, aqua jogging was great for, uh, I had a foot injury that I was using that for. So, so I mean, if there ever comes a time when you're 85 years old, water aerobics going to be a very yeah. easy transition for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as they have the warm water, you know how like sometimes there's like the warm, yes, water mix areas. Yes, yes, I'll be all about that. So I am amazed by how 
throughout all this, you seemingly maintained a positive attitude, finding the silver linings, having just like endurance in your mindset to know, okay, this is the spot that I am. I'm focusing on what I can do and knowing that it's not a permanent situation and not being dragged down with the why me? Why is this happening to me? Plus FOMO, you, you know, the people that you're running with and watching them continue to their journey of fitness and getting PRs and everything. I would love to know, I would love to get inside your brain and know how you managed to do that. Or was it, I'm assuming it wasn't as easy for you as it may seem on the outside. Cause it, I mean, it's only natural to have kind of those dark periods. Yeah. I anticipated it being a lot harder for me than it actually was psychologically, mentally, emotionally. And I really came in expecting that it would be a very, very dark time and it would be very long. And I think that the expectation that it was going to be difficult kind of set the stage for it exceeding my expectations, I guess. And so, and I really have to say it really was grace because I have had anxiety throughout my life and I've managed a lot of it and with running and having that be my time of prayer and meditation. But I really was able to find a lot of joy and appreciation for many, many other things by just really opening my hands and letting go of some of the expectations for myself and also how things would go and how they would progress. So I do think there's a lot of grace. I feel like God gave me lots of grace to give me just what I needed, the joy I needed, the patience I needed. That being said, I do think the pain beforehand, the amount of discomfort, I should say discomfort, it was just kind of like always achy, always there. And then having the surgery and feeling some amount of immediate relief was also part of my ability (laughs) To be quite frank with you, to my ability to be so positive because I did have like an immediate feeling of relief from that discomfort. At, like at night, I was able to sleep. And so I'd been so long of like waking up during the night and having to do this mobility just to be able to fall asleep. So I know that that's kind of the long answer to that question. But in general, like really... I do love watching other people excel in the sport. I do love the sport really beyond what I'm doing. And so being a coach, you can understand this too. Like me for coaching other athletes, I absolutely love that. And I can see what they're doing and not feel upset that I'm not doing it and really get engaged into what they need for their progression. And so I do think like, you know, looking out, was a big part for me, like looking out and being able to be an encouragement and still be part of the running community without running myself. And then I do think the expectations, letting go and giving myself the space I need to heal and knowing that it would, it will be for my benefit to not rush. And then finally, just the perspective and coming back to like what I'm doing this for and how I can have a thriving life within the realm of sports, but also just the day-to-day, being a mom, being in a career, and serving my community in the way I can. Do anything on a daily basis that helps you hold on to that perspective? I feel like we, as human beings, living our lives, we have these moments where everything snaps into focus. And then we get back into just our 
daily routine and we sort of lose sight of what's important. And when you're injured, I think it's very easy to kind of fall into that. So did you do, you know, journaling or you said maybe prayer and meditation time in the morning just to keep you on the right, in the right mindset? I was part of a recovery program for my anxiety years ago. And that prayer that everyone knows from AA, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I probably repeat that seven times a day. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, because there's things I feel that I try to cling to that Mm -hmm. are, they don't have any support for me. They're not a lifeline that I try to grasp for, for things, but to know like there are things that are out of my control. And just to be able to recognize it and process it really, like, it helps me let go of my anxiety about that specific issue. So there'll often be things that I'm specifically thinking about when I let go of control and then find the thing that I can control. Mm -hmm. Specific things like, you know, I have this presentation coming up, but I don't have my script yet. Well, I don't have my script yet. So, right, what can I do right now that will ease my burden later? You know, so is there something I need to get done within that time frame? Maybe I should pick up my dry cleaning and I should, you know, do all these other tasks so that when I do get my scripts, I can study and be ready. So I guess it's a process of finding the things that I can do and will help me, which goes along again with your process goals article, the things I can control. And then really just trying to recognize and put put an actual thought to the things that I'm letting go, not just kind of like taking a breath and letting it out. But what are the specific things that I feel like I feel are out of control that I'm grasping to control? And when you're saying this, I'm thinking back and it's beautiful. And I often tell myself in a abbreviated format, control the controllables. <laughs> Don't try to control Uh things that are uncontrollable. As an injured person who especially has a large part of their identity, not their whole identity, rooted in running and being fit, when you cannot run, things change. Your body changes. I mean, it's hard and I know it sounds vain, but you gain weight and you look at, I mean, I remember this and looking at myself and it wasn't the end of the world and I faced my fear, but it's still like you feel, you just start to view yourself differently and letting go of that sort of control over your body, especially when it's not for a reason like you're growing a human. You know, I think it's easier to do it when it's you're growing a human, but it's just for the fact that you're not able to exercise like you usually do. Did you face that? And if you did, how did you reconcile that? I was very humbled that I was so weak. I was so weak. It was hard. That was very, very hard for me. And I think, too, because beyond the identity of being a runner, I also clung to being strong. Like, I'm a person who is capable. And, you know, I think I kind of lumped that all together. Yeah. And I was exposed for the weakness. PT, when you go to PT and they're like, you can only do these three moves, you know, and then they're challenging. And you're like, these three moves are having me do when I start my rehab and they're challenging and they're basic. It's just very humbling. And I did struggle for absolutely. I struggled with the idea that I had once been here, you know, I called the phantom ponytail and I've had this kind of imagery in my head for a long time of this girl and she's myself and I see her ponytail and she's always ahead of me and I can't catch up to who 
I was at that ideal moment in my life. And I chase after her and it's unattainable and it's frustrating. And I compare myself to either something that I have been, this Mm -hmm. I've achieved, or it's what I hope that I'll be. And I think during the time of injury, I was struck with that because it's like I'm so far from this phantom ponytail that I have created and I I try to say goodbye to, I try to abandon her, but she comes back because she's me. Mm-hmm. It's an internal struggle. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, the piece of us that desires, it's so good that we desire to be the best we can be, that piece of us that's so good, but at the same time to be in the reality of this discrepancy mm-hmm. and feeling that we need to catch up mm-hmm. and the feeling of being in a rush and catching up has been a state of frenzy that I've experienced in a lot of aspects of my life, mm-hmm. but I see in running how it's been detrimental. Yes. I can't rush it. Yes. I can't. You get into trouble when you rush it. That's so beautifully put. And I think people who are injured or will face injury, hearing from people like you who have experienced this and knowing that not only do you come out on the other side and you do catch up, you go past because you've learned so many lessons and you view things in such a better light because of these challenging times that you've had. I learned how to do a glue bridge in the correct way. Does <laughs> anything to come from this? I mean, that is... I know. I know. I know. That seems so like after this like big, deep talk. <laughs> but honestly, though, it is amazing. Like this is a really what seems like unimportant nuance that like changes everything we do. But I like, this is what I wasn't doing. So I was doing my glute bridge without like first like activating my core uh-huh. and then lifting up. So I realized that I wasn't doing the core activation before lifting. And that changed the way that I did that. But yeah, there's things that we come out on the other side, not only a perspective, but actually really dialing in some of these things. I know that you worked on your hamstrings quite a bit. I see you crushing it and doing your pull-ups. And well, there's so many things. It's like now we see the importance of all the little things and how they add up to the big things. So I've appreciated seeing your journey, Whitney, and how you've done it with so much grace and with so much, I guess, investigation of how to do things better. It's like the journey of continuous improvement. Right. I mean, thank you for saying that. It's it's one of the big lessons I learned is that the little things really do matter. And Mm -hmm. like you said, do not try to rush the process. Don't try to catch up. Just be in it, enjoy it, love the process. And yes, I am so much stronger than I was before I got injured because I know the importance. And I think I was able to come back after such a long time and run PRs because I've worked on my strength when I was when I couldn't do anything else for a while. You know, pull-ups were the only thing I could really safely do. So put the pull-up bar in the playroom and I did that, you know? Did you ever struggle with from time to time, just thinking, being around running, I know you love the running community and it fills you up so much. I thinking this hurts too much. I just want to withdraw this being around it. Or did you, you knew that you needed to force yourself to stay connected to the running community, to coach your athletes, to go to races, even if you couldn't run, because you knew that would fill your cup, even if you couldn't be there, be there participating. Yeah. I think that's another thing that I just, I'm so grateful. I don't think it's really of myself. I think it's really something that, you know, I've wanted to process and make whole again in me, if that makes sense. 
that I really have enjoyed the running community, even in my injury and the times that I can't participate. I haven't felt an intense amount of sadness. I have to say, I did cry on the way to Bayshore Marathon last year. I had just gotten off of crutches, I think. Well, no, I was off crutches a few weeks, but I wasn't doing any, you know, I wasn't Mm -hmm. able to do, I was still in a phase of not doing too much. And since that was my first marathon, you know, and I had emotion there, you know, I cried, but then like, as soon as I was there, I was just totally filled up by the energy and I wasn't thinking about myself. Yeah. But I did hurt a moment, you know, and I think that we do process those. And I think maybe the reason that I've been able to enjoy it is because I identify it and I don't like push it aside. I just like, see, like, I guess I accept it. And I'm like, okay, this is sad. And then move on. Right. Yes. Go sit and move on. I do think that if you are sad, even if it seems like the opposite of what you want to do, going to a race will quickly pick you up no matter what you're sad about i think the race vibes are just they're unparalleled that i went last year to kind of the scene of the crime to indy where i ran with my torn hamstring to support my friend i kind of crewed her and i think my husband was like is that are you going to be okay doing that and i was like yeah i think so and yeah sure enough i mean it was amazing i was so thrilled to be there supporting her to be cheering on the other runners and seeing just so many amazing just like just fast times and camaraderie and just, I mean, I don't, it's it's super inspiring, even if you cannot run. So we were talking before we press record about kind of some of our self-protective habits when we get back into the sport. For instance, I'm very careful about, even now, still, you know, eight months back to running, who I run with because I don't want to be caught running too fast. And do you do things like that? Or are there other kind of self-protective measures that you take to make sure you stay healthy? Yeah, this is something I had to start implementing even before injury. I have had some very fast friends. (laughs) And so I've had to set boundaries because I realized one of my injuries came from running too fast too often. I think everyone's nodding along. It's right. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a right passage. Right? But, that, you know, a couple of years ago, I really started to have to say, like, I protect it and say, hey, you can go ahead if that's what you need to do today. This is kind of where my limitations are and stick to it. And it's so awkward sometimes. You're just like, go ahead. Mm. Like, yeah, because then there's like the dance, like, no, are you sure? No, really? It's okay. Are you, you know? Yeah. Been there. Yeah, yeah. I also think too that it's it's tricky because I feel like I can do it. Right. You know, because you can. But then the next day, when you're supposed to be doing your workout, you're not gonna be completely recovered for it. Mm-hmm. So then you have the you know, accumulation of fatigue, you're not getting the adaptations, and you're working really hard, but you're not seeing the fruition of your work. And so yeah, I've had to really, you know, set boundaries that way. But then coming back from injury, I haven't started doing workouts until recently. You know, I'm doing some steady states and some fart licks, and I have to do those by myself. And because especially when I have always really done my steady states and my fart licks by myself, because I need to really be in tune with what's going on mm-hmm. with my body and like learn the feelings of discomfort and learning to read the signals of my body and then also create 
the toolbox that I need to overcome that. So then in a race situation, I'm able to as well. So yeah, I've had to put those boundaries in place and I'll even text people and be like, hey, you know, I'm happy to go as slow as possible, but I'm not going to go faster than this. Right. So kind of articulating it and communicating in the best way that I can. Yeah. I think for some people, it can be hard to start to put that ego aside and just and learn just because you can does not mean that you should Mm -hmm. really need to balance. I mean, it's an individual sport in so many ways. And one big way is that we have individual needs for our training and what's best for us and just remembering that. Yeah. And then, you know, I think that helps too with I think you were talking to Neely Gracie about like cue words and talking to yourself and having this dialogue within yourself. And I know Steve Magnus writes about it. Many, I think many sports psychologists do, but talking, learning to talk to yourself and having this relationship with yourself. And I feel like when you get back to running, it's almost like you're dating again. (laughs) Yes, we know each other, but like, let's get reacquainted with this discomfort and how we're going to discuss how is this internal dialogue going to go? And you kind of get back into a rhythm of self-talk because that was one of the biggest challenges. I hadn't run a hard run in two years. I haven't raced since the Olympic trial. Well, no, I did, but I hadn't raced like hard since 21. So anyway, I hadn't done any workouts in a couple of years and that feeling of discomfort when it came in, I had to retrain my brain. So I think running those and getting reacquainted with myself was important before I can then plug in and be an asset to the running community, running with others. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point because when you face it for the first time in a long time, it is very easy to freak out and panic. Be like, oh, oh, I don't like this. This is, you know, and your body thinks or your mind thinks this is harmful. I need to stop doing this and just learning to kind of coax your way through it and know it's okay. And let's be curious and see what happens if I push a little bit harder, if that's what the workout spells out. That's a wonderful point. And I've talked to a lot of people recently about how they actually enjoy working out by themselves too, because it does help them kind of dial into truly how they're feeling and how to manage that discomfort. Are there any other lessons that you want to share with our listeners from your journey? I think that coming back to the idea of challenges versus threats, I think all of it and everything that we do, we can see things as either a challenge to overcome or a threat that makes us shut down. And in the balance of that, also identifying the things that are disappointing and feeling the feelings and going through what we need to do to come out on the other side with a a deeper, greater, more profound perspective on things. But I do think, you know, there's so many things and we've talked so much about this, Whitney, and I've appreciated the camaraderie in the injury realm Mm -hmm. to really look at these things, see them for what they are, feel, you know, like I said, feel the feels. But then what is the challenge there? How can I I grow and improve and find satisfaction beyond the PR if it's if I'm still a year out from being able to get back to that fitness? What are the things along the way that are going to bring me joy about this sport? I just feel like there's so much there when it comes to our perspective on these challenges that we face as injured runners. Oh, you're so right. There's Because there's just so much beauty in this sport. It's not just about the PR and how fast you can run or how far you can run. It's There's just a bevy of things. So you're right to really try to shift your focus to that while you're able to build your fitness back up. And I was thinking this morning on my run how we are always in this state being a work in progress as a runner. 
because we're never complete. We're always trying to perfect it. And it's interesting because, you know, the sport attracts so many type A people who are perfectionists, but we're always working on something. And sometimes, you know, the baseline is different and just, you know, recognizing again that we're all in this together and yeah, feel the feels. I know I didn't feel better until I let it out because for the longest time also felt guilt because, you know, I'm like, well, this is, it's not like a threat, a life-threatening illness. I mean, there's, I should be so grateful for everything that I can do, but it's a life-altering situation when you're injured, when being a runner is such a large part of your life and your social connection. And so I also encourage people to continue to stay connected to your run friends. And I was very grateful to have run friends who continued to check on me, even though I was injured during the pandemic as well. And so we weren't able to see each other, but still staying connected, just it helped. And so if you have a friend that's injured, check in on them, even though you're not seeing them for those group runs, still ask them how they're doing because they need you to. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it reminded me, I wanted to share, I haven't shared this with anyone yet, but it's my mantra for this year. It came to me. I was reading the other day and I thought I would share it with all of you. And it's, I look down and I don't often check on my watch. I try to run by feel and not check very often, but I had some bad feedback. Like I thought I was running really fast uh-huh. and I looked, the effort was correct, but the time was not matching what mm-hmm. I thought the effort. And I thought to myself, it's coming, Andy. And good things are happening right now. Oh, I love that. So that's my mantra is good things are happening right now. And these things that I want are coming. They're coming. I can feel them coming. To me, it kind of ties into spring. You know, right now we don't see what's happening underground. We don't see that the flowers are starting to push up through the soil, but it's coming. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much for sharing all these wonderful epiphanies that you've had and lessons. I know that this conversation has really helped me and I probably will listen to it multiple times because I think it's useful not only if you're in a tough spot with injury, but just a tough spot in general. So thank you so much. Thank you, Whitney. And thanks for all that you've done bringing your injury conversation into the sport and helping us all through it as mother runners and beyond and all, (laughs) all the other runners listening. Thank you, Andy. Thank you again, Andy. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. You can find full show notes for every episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any of the resources we mentioned at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Please be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from the episodes, we would love to hear about it. So please leave a rating and review wherever you listen, or you can head over to ratethispodcast.com slash runner, and we'll read some of these comments out on future episodes. Talk to you next time.